Hello everyone and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled A Better Year Ahead. It is the 10th of January. My name is Lorna Denny and I'm joined today by Niall MacDonald and from Hong Kong, Thomas Vogel. Financial markets had a tough time in 2022. Major equity markets fell into bear market territory and, unusually, a number of bond markets performed almost as badly. And this left investors with nowhere to hide. Fingers were pointed at central banks for their aggressive game of interest rate catch-up as inflation soared to levels not seen for decades. Today, we will explore how 2023 might bring a change in the market backdrop, which could mean better performances for the major asset classes, and look at how our tactical asset allocation will respond to evolving market conditions. Niall, if you could set the scene for us, how did the markets close a horrible year? Good morning, Lorna, and good evening, Thomas. Yes, 2022, Annus Uh The year was primarily driven by central bank monetary action to combat inflation. We know now that we came into 2022 with an overstimulated global economy resulting from monetary and fiscal response to the COVID pandemic. This coupled with supply dysfunction and then Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent inflation soaring across the world. To combat this, central banks, most notably the Fed, began hiking interest rates aggressively to cool down the global economy in an effort to purge inflation from the system. It went from 0.75% to 4.25%, which is 3.75% of an increase. Normal hiking cycle, this would be the equivalent of 15 interest rate hikes, as they typically come in 25 basis point increments. So bond markets sold off dramatically as interest rates rose. 2022 was the worst year for US Treasuries since 1788. So to put the numbers in perspective, a typical basket of US government bonds lost about 15% in value last year. These tighter financial conditions impacted on the riskier spectrum of fixed income, with emerging market debt and corporate bonds all producing negative returns as they adjusted to the new higher interest rate environment. So global investment-grade corporates were down about 16%. And for hard currency emerging market debt, that's euro and US-denominated bonds issued by emerging markets, these were down close to 20%. Interestingly, uh, local currency emerging market debt was only down about 10% and outperforming other areas. This is because a lot of EM countries began hiking in 2021. And there is a common narrative that the world hasn't seen high levels of inflations for a long time. And this is true of the developed, but not emerging. So the central banks really were quicker to act. Moving on to global stock markets, these entered a bear market, particularly in the technology sector, which had been fueled by lower interest rates with the expectation of high future earnings. The Nasdaq was down 33%, and the recent winners of the last best part of a decade, the FANG stocks, weighed heavily on market performance. Facebook, for example, was down some 74% from its peak during the year. Energy was the only bright spot in stocks, with higher commodity prices producing stellar profits for the sector. But also the dollar was king, with rising over 10% versus the euro, as higher interest rates and the risk-off environment created a demand for dollar cash. Lastly, we closed the year with a possible bright spot, which could have some inflationary pressures, and that was China's abandonment of its zero COVID policy. That was a really useful catch-up. Thank you very much. And we're going to come on to China's switch away from its zero COVID policy in a moment with Thomas, but still with you, Niall. Inflation was certainly one of the most discussed topics in 2022. Do you feel we might now have reached a peak in inflation? Well, if we look at three key elements, there are signs that inflation has or is peaking. So energy prices have been falling over the second half of the year. So these will dampen inflationary pressures. Two, supply chains are back to normal and the price of transporting a 40-feet container from China to US West Coast 
has declined from $20,000 in September 2021 to about $1,300 today. And lastly, wage inflation across the income distribution seems to be rolling over and coming down. So when we look at the most recent inflation prints, there are tangible signs that inflation has or is close to peaking. So last month's CPI report in the US surprised the downside and was only ahead by 0.1% for the month. You say inflation might have peaked. So will that automatically then bring this longed for pivot in interest rate policy? Jay Powell and the FOMC committee, via their projections, have maintained that interest rates will stay higher for longer. The Fed's inflation target is 2%, and we are a way off getting down to that level, being currently at 7.1%. The Fed's narrative is pretty clear that they are determined to crush inflation out of the system, regardless of the economic pain. Now, we look closely at the pricing and interest rate futures, what the market is pricing future Fed's rate will be. And the market is pricing in a pivot in interest rate cuts in the second half of 2023. Now, the Fed's projections have no indication of cuts and believe that the Fed's rate, as I said, will stay high for the rest of the year. I think the key will be in the hard data being produced. And all market participants are focused on the CPI data as it's released, the latest of which is out this Thursday. Yes, we're looking forward to that one. Thomas, talking of economic pain, China is now facing the potentially negative consequences of an abrupt change in policy with regard to COVID. Hi, Lorna. Yes, indeed. China's reopening is well underway after officials abruptly lifted COVID controls in late 2022. The medical system is currently struggling as expected and the death count is mounting. Although it's impossible to know the exact numbers of COVID cases, there are good reasons to believe that the wave has already peaked in some of the bigger cities like Beijing or will peak nationwide around Chinese New Year holiday, which starts in the week of January 23rd. In cities where COVID infections may have peaked already, we see mobility metrics like subway, car traffic or flights rebounding, even though from low levels. We are yet to discover the full impact on industrial production and supply chains, but a peak of cases around Chinese New Year holiday would definitely be positive as the time before and during the holiday is characterized by low economic activity as people take holiday and spend time with their families. While no one expected such a quick change in the COVID policy, the equity market anticipated the move quite early and China and Hong Kong equities bounced sharply since end of October, with the MSCI China up plus 50% versus only plus 5% for the MSCI world. Yes, that is interesting. But what has been the impact on economic growth forecasts for China? Yeah, not surprisingly, recent PMI and economic activity data is very weak. Also, the China Consumer Confidence Index is still around all-time low. But after the initial wave passes, years of uncertainty from COVID restrictions will be gone, which should generate a solid economic rebound. The primary beneficiary will be household consumption, with Chinese household savings way above pre-COVID levels. To a lesser extent, also, property sales and construction should benefit. The boost to industry and gradually to services will be offset by weakening export growth due to the possible recessions in other parts of the world. Also, in the important Central Economic Work Conference in mid of December, we heard encouraging news of a possible combination of cyclical and structural policies with focus on both qualitative and quantitative growth. Despite possible heightened disruptions to the economy in the near term due to the impacts of the reopening, economic growth will likely recover in Q2, and there are still upside risks in the current growth forecasts. While the median GDP growth estimate for 
for 2023 is currently at 4.8%. Some economists raised their forecasts recently to above the likely government goal of 5%. Nonetheless, this amounts to economic uncertainty. And would you expect the authorities or the People's Bank of China to step in then with fiscal or monetary support? Yes, I do. Actually, in the last few days, we already saw further pro-growth actions. PBOC held its Q4 Monetary Policy Committee meeting on December 28. In the statement afterwards, the PBOC remained cautious on current economic growth, but maintained its pro-growth stance and called for greater support for the economy. On the property sector, the PBOC's tone turned more supportive, hinting at further demand-side property policy easing. PBOC emphasized monetary policy would be, quote, precise and forceful to help restore confidence and facilitate domestic demand expansion. Also, the government sent positive messages on the tech regulatory front recently and just today announced they are considering increasing local government debt quota, which is mainly used for infrastructure investments, and widening the budget deficit from 2.8 to 3% of GDP to boost growth. And this could all have some impact on the currency markets and certainly changes in the exchange rate between the US dollar and the Chinese renminbi can bring a critical competitive advantage when it comes to global trade. How did the renminbi fare against the mighty dollar in 2022? Yeah, last year, global currency markets, as Niall alluded to, were dominated by the strong dollar, pushed up by the rapid rising interest rates. In autumn last year, the combination of China's zero-COVID policy and the reappointment of Xi Jinping for a third time focused the pressure on the CNY, helped to push it to lowest level against the dollar since 2007. While the CNY was down around 15% versus the US dollar end of October, it closed out the year around minus 8% versus the dollar. Obviously, there are on the one hand trade advantages through a weaker currency, but on the other hand, it increases the cost for buying commodities priced in dollars. For China, the latter effect, though, is currently muted as they are, for example, already buying most of Russian oil in CNY, and they are also in process of discussing the same with Saudi Arabia. In the near term, China's potential gain in economic momentum, just as the US economy seems to be slowing could be positive for the currency in 2023. Yes, indeed. But now there is still uncertainty over growth in China and we have restricted policy still from central banks in the West. Could we be looking at a prolonged spell of recession in 2023? Well, so far, recession forecasts are mild. And even just this morning, Goldman Sachs announced they now expect mild growth in the European economy. There are tentative signs that a soft landing could be achieved with wage inflation coming down and the unemployment rate remaining low and resilient, I think inevitably we'll have some form of global recession. A demand destruction is needed to bring inflation down materially. But I will agree with the consensus that I think this will be mild. As there's not strong evidence of this being a balance sheet recession, as coined by the economist Richard Koo. This is where private sectors are overburdened with debt. And also, following the great the GFC the banking sector is a lot stronger to facilitate economic growth during a downturn. Yes, indeed. And as bond prices fell last year, bond yields were rising as the one moves inversely to the other. And as bond yields rose, the phenomenon of negative yielding bonds, which have become familiar since the global financial crisis or GFC, has suddenly become a thing of the past. 
Yes, at peak during 2020, there were $8 trillion of negative yielding bonds. Some 36% of the European government and credit market was negative yielding. And this is mainly in Europe and Japan, but there were also some corporate bonds. So Nestle, for example, issued some negative yielding debt. However, the last of the negative yielders was extinguished when the Bank of Japan announced it was increasing its cap on the Japanese 10-year to 50 basis points. So what needs to happen for bond markets to rally again from here? We need inflation to come down and the Fed to pivot to rate cuts if growth stagnates. But I think aside from that, investors need to look now at the yield that bonds are offering regardless. Global investment grade credit offers a yield of 4.8% per year and high yield debt is now offering a yield of 9% per year. We believe the fixed income spectrum is now presenting attractive opportunities for investors to take advantage of. And improving bond markets with lower bond yields could perhaps support equity markets? Yes, lower rates will ease the pressure on equity valuations as the value of future earnings discounted. And this would be a tailwind for the so-called growth and technology stocks. However, within the equity space, there are sectors that benefit from this higher rate environment, like financials. So ensuring investors have a balanced portfolio of exposures is essential. And in the light of all this then now, what adjustments have we made to our tactical asset allocation recently? Yes, we implemented an overweight and global investment grade credit within our portfolios. So looking to benefit from the higher yield that this asset class now offers, we remain underweight in European government bonds as the European Central Bank is behind the curve relative to other developed banks on its interest rate hiking cycle. And lastly, we closed our moderate underweight in European equities in Q4 following strong momentum in equity markets. Markets are remaining focused on improving inflation dynamics and the belief that central bank monetary policy will turn less restrictive in 2023. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura.